This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. The referendum on the voice to parliament is now expected in the final few months of this year, and the campaigns are heating up. The No campaign is mobilising, and the Yes campaign kicked off late last week, with a gathering in Adelaide on Ghana country attracting hundreds of excited attendees. We've been waiting for this. In about 10 months' time, every single one of you and millions of Australians like you are going to step into a polling booth on referendum day and they're going to be asked a simple yes-no question. Should we recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of this country? And should we do that through a voice? Yes! Indigenous Affairs Editor Lorena Allen has been looking at who is behind the yes and no campaigns and how they plan to sway your vote. Today, the anatomy of the yes and no campaigns. It's Wednesday, the 1st of March. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So, Lorena, last week the Yes campaign was officially launched. What did we learn so at the launch, the director of the From the Heart campaign, Kwandamuka Mandine Parkin, said it was time to bring the conversation back to the people and to unite them with a successful yes vote. This is the day we bring it back from the bubble, the speculators, the commentators. That idea that the campaign is about grassroots organising, not about politicians, was exemplified by the event itself. We know that this is not a politician's movement. This is a people's It was a politician-free event, they billed it as, run by the Indigenous campaigners with community representatives, there were volunteers and grassroots advocates who'd been in a two-day campaign lab ahead of the launch to get training in how to help people reflect, ask questions and air their concerns and really have a civil conversation about the voice. From this event, we learned a few key things about the Yes campaign. And one of them is that Australia's biggest philanthropic organisation, the Paul Ramsey Foundation, announced $5 million of funding for the campaign, a huge boost. Bang, there you go. Excellent news, brother. Wonderful news. 
And there's a new website, yes23.com.au, to recruit volunteers and provide posters and flyers for the cause, you know, if you want to print one out and stick it on your car. It has advice for people in how to discuss the referendum, uh, including the talking points to use and maybe how to respond to questions. And and they really emphasise that we do this in a civil and respectful way. Lorena, the government has been at pains to emphasise that they are not running the Yes campaign, that that is up to the people. But clearly there are some people and organisations that have a coordinating role here. Can you give me a sense of the organisational structure of the Yes campaign so far? So one of them is the Australians for Indigenous Constitutional Recognition, or AICR. This is a real powerhouse group of prominent Australians, co-chaired by the lawyer and director of the Business Council of Australia, Danny Gilbert, and Aranda Kalkadoon filmmaker Rachel Perkins. And on the board, there's an array of very influential people, including the chair of West Farmers, Michael Cheney, and Mark Texter, who's a veteran pollster and strategist who's helped uh, elect uh, prime ministers here and in the UK. He was once described by Britain's Channel 4 as one of the most influential political strategists to walk the planet. So AICR will be their kind of fundraising and governance body, I guess. It has a deductible gift recipient or DGR status, which means it can take donations, tax-free donations from supporters. And they will use those funds to give resources and events to the campaign and support local campaigns by community organisers. And that's where the $5 million of the Ramsey donation is going. And then there's three others, the Uluru Dialogues, from the heart and uphold and recognise. So the Uluru Dialogues is spearheaded by Professor Megan Davis and Pat Anderson. Their role is to uphold the statement itself and its three key elements of voice, treaty, truth. Whereas from the heart was set up three years later in order to keep the conversation about a voice to parliament alive and it is auspiced through Noel Pearson's think tank, the Cape York Institute. Mm. And Uphold and Recognise was founded in 2015 by Damien Freeman, who's a lawyer at the Australian Catholic University, and at the time Julian Lisa, who is now the Coalition's uh, spokesperson on Indigenous Australians. And it's a sort of centre-right approach that was aimed at finding common ground with constitutional conservatives and conservative voters more generally. These groups are seeking to encourage and support this grassroots movement What are they hoping that will look like over the next eight or nine months of the S campaign? Well, they haven't been explicit about how they intend to do that, but obviously there's a strategy and they've done a lot of polling of their own to give them a sense of how to message and how to target messages. But the key one is this emphasis that it is the Australian people's conversation to have. It's not about politicians. They're trying to neutralise that political sort of argy-bargy going on in Canberra by turning this over to the people. Mm. And I think there'll be a lot of open conversations that they that they want to host in a civil way. So, for example, Megan Davis and Pat Anderson from the Uluru Dialogue have been hosting these online yarning circles Mm. almost caught back to back for, for days and days to increase awareness and understanding of the voice and that you can sign up and join in and they will answer all and any and all of your questions about the voice in the hope that they can turn supporters into advocates in their own communities because, you know, the, a lot of the polling suggests that when people understand what the voice is about, they're more likely to support it. But the way to communicate that message is from person to person rather than with, you know, big grand gesture advertising campaigns. 
And there's also local councils like the Inner West Local Council here in Sydney who are running civic education sessions for people and they are really basically explaining what the Uluru Statement is and how it's led to the voice. They've already signed up like a 1,000 people from the community to come along to those sessions and they'll be the ones to continue the conversations, as Dean Parkin says, you know, at the side of the soccer field or at the school gate or at barbecues or on the beach. There are more and more organisations coming on board to the Yes campaign. We've seen a broad coalition of religious groups and various universities and educational institutions pledge their support. But there has been backlash to some of these groups getting involved. Shadow Education Minister Sarah Henderson says educational institutions should not be involved in activism, campaigning or personal agendas. What do you make of this debate around who is allowed to campaign in the referendum? It's interesting that, you know, universities have always been hotbeds of activism, campaigning and personal agendas. I mean, where, where else do you have those conversations but in an, in, an, in an academic environment? And I think Professor Megan Davis touched on that last week when she said, she's the Pro Vice-Chancellor of Indigenous at the Uni of New South Wales. She said, precisely that. It's the role of universities to support the voice campaign because silence is political. She said, I don't really stomach that we are mere facilitators of the debate. Universities say they don't want to be political, but the decision not to take a stance about Uluru and the referendum is a political decision. Where does that end though? Does every organisation, does every workplace become a a site of, of campaigning? Well, I think a lot of people will want to talk about it. It'll be like an election campaign, turbocharged. So everyone's going to have an opinion or a question or want to talk about it or want to vent a frustration or, I mean, so it'll be very much a a conversation that's held at all levels of Australian society. So that's the Yes campaign, Lorena. What about the No campaign? Who is behind it and what will that look like? So the No campaigners are less forthcoming about their plans. They're yet to launch any big formal campaign, but they have had a kind of soft launch earlier in the year. The prominent voices so far are the Northern Territory uh, CLP Senator and Walpuri Celtic woman Jacinta Price and businessman Warren Mundine. So Warren Mundine told Guardian Australia that he and Jacinta Price would be the public face of the uh, No campaign. They'd be travelling around the country doing barbecues and public events. and But they didn't expect to hold those big, large town hall forums and rallies like the Yes side. Mm. They've also aligned with various groups who will play significant roles in the No campaign. So Warren Mundine is heading up Recognise a Better Way. So this group is basically coming up with alternative ideas to recognise Indigenous people in the constitution and push for symbolic recognition of Indigenous Australians. Symbolic recognition of First Nations people in the constitution without creating a voice to parliament was a kind of proposal that was very popular with the Morrison government, but it was outright rejected by the Uluru Statement. And Mundine's idea is, is to go back to that. Is that correct? There's not a lot of detail around what they want at this point, but yes, it seems seems so, Laura. Now, Recognise a Better Way was launched with a suggestion to recognise uh, migrants in the Constitution. I want to recognise 
all Australians, on a recognised Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islands and the magnificent 60,000 years of our history. And I want to recognise people like refugees and immigrants who have fled from overseas, from wars, from discrimination, and they come to Australia to, to, to enjoy the freedom. Didn't go down well. I mean, it was instantly rejected by Australia's key migrant and multicultural groups who said they wanted a voice. They didn't necessarily want to be recognised in the Constitution at this time. Then there's Advance, which is now going to be spearheaded by Jacinta Price. And Advance is a lobby group that I think came to prominence the last election by campaigning against progressive candidates and has now pivoted to the no campaign. What's the difference between the roles of Recognise a Better Way and Advance? Warren Mundine said Recognise would spearhead academic work and contribute you know, writing newspaper opinion pieces, while Advance and their campaigns called Fair Australia would manage the volunteers and door knock and publicly campaign. So far, there's been a few donations to the campaign. The most publicised has been that of Marcus Blackmore, whose father Morris founded the vitamin business. He's donated $35,000 to Advance. There's a number of other prominent business people in the Australian business community who've made donations, none of whom are as well known as Marcus Blackmore, but they've all made significant donations, well over $20,000 each to the advance campaign. There's a number of other prominent business people in the Australian business community who've made donations, none of whom are as well known as Marcus Blackmore, but they've all made significant donations, well over $20,000 each to the advance campaign. The Liberal Party is yet to declare a formal stance on the voice to Parliament, but we continue to see ongoing negative commentary from the coalition. Peter Dutton said earlier this month that the referendum is on track to fail, and this angered many people in the referendum working group who say he publicly misrepresented what was said to him at a meeting that he'd been invited to. We also saw Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lee say last week that the whole referendum is an election vanity project by Albanese, essentially. Prime Minister, on The Voice, Susan Lay has accused you of using the referendum on the huh. Voice to Parliament as a re-election vanity project and says you're willing the coalition to oppose it. Do you find that offensive? Well, yeah. I, people will make their own judgment as to whether the coalition are being constructive. Is what we're seeing here a kind of soft no campaign, an ongoing soft no campaign from the coalition. Yeah, it's not so soft, is it? I mean, there's been a lot of pushback against the voice from coalition front benches. And while Peter Dutton maintains that he hasn't formed a view yet, and the door is still open to him from the working group and the government to, you know, negotiate some sort of bipartisan agreement, it is looking more and more likely that the coalition will vote no. It seems to me, at least, that the best-case scenario is that the coalition will be allowed a conscience vote on The Voice. How essential is their support, Lorena? Well, traditionally, referendums don't succeed without bipartisan support. So as much as the government and the Yes campaigners want to hope that they can do this without the coalition, it's less likely to succeed without bipartisan support, which is why you see Albanese and the Yes campaigners trying to keep the door open and trying to maintain some dialogue with the coalition. I've sat down and talked with Peter Dutton on no less than six occasions. No less than six occasions. I sit in question time every day. They have an opportunity to ask questions about detail. That doesn't happen. Uh, what you have is a series of comments aimed at creating confusion. 
and making more complex something that is actually very, very clear. Next, writing the rules for a referendum in the modern age. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So, Lorena, that's the broad shape of the yes and no campaigns, but the government has also been looking at the rules that will govern campaigning and the broader referendum process. Can you tell me a bit about that? So there's a piece of legislation called the Referendum Machinery Act, which is the law that governs how referendums are conducted. And it's a bit out of date. The last time it was enacted was in the 90s during the Republic referendum, and there's some parts of it that the government's wanted to modernise. So they've just had a parliamentary inquiry into the Act and into its own proposals for amending the legislation. And the main aim of that is to kind of combat misinformation to make sure that there's transparency and a level playing field, if you like, for the yes and no campaigns. Mm. So they've been looking at things like donation disclosure rules and whether there should be public funding for campaigns, like I mentioned, and what kind of information people receive. So the Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters report uh, was released in February and the bill itself, with no massive changes, will be is expected to be voted on in March. There was a dissenting report, however, from coalition members who all said that they had concerns about the Machinery Act would create a lopsided environment in which the referendum was conducted. One of the really contentious issues has been whether the government should provide funding for both the yes and the no campaigns. What's the current plan around that? The government's preference is not to fund either the yes or no campaign. And the Prime Minister has said that taxpayers shouldn't be footing the bill for yes and no. Uh, It should be up to people to fund. And the Electoral Matters Committee was broadly in favour of the government's decision not to do that. 
But it has been a contentious issue for a long time. As I mentioned, the coalition MPs dissented and said that they considered it was essential that the government equally fund the yes and no campaign in the interests of informed debate and they were refusing to support the overall bill unless that changed. So coalitions saying that not funding yes or no is trickery or rigging the system and effectively trying to disadvantage one side over the other in the campaign. Mm, You can see how the playing field in terms of funding could get uneven fairly quickly if you just leave it up to private donations. You know, we saw the $5 million Ramsey donation flowing into the Yes campaign and the government's out there spruiking Yes every day. Are there any rules around private donations to the campaigns? Yeah, so this was quite, this was a point of contention at the inquiry too. I mean, a lot of submissions said that there needs to be real-time disclosure of campaign donations and that transparency is really important during a debate as supercharged as this one. Other submissions suggested limits on expenditure to stop wealthy donors undermining that level playing field and some supported a total ban on foreign donations. But none of this is reflected in the bill. At present, it remains in line with the electoral rules, so which is anything above 15,000 has to be disclosed uh, and there will be disclosures after the event, but the real-time disclosures won't be available to us. I suppose that's the role of the media to keep track of that stuff. You also mentioned that the government is concerned about misinformation during the campaigns. What are, what are they worried about? We're in uncharted waters with this referendum. It's the first one in the modern internet age where we have, um, we already clearly struggle with the quality of information we get from social media. So their concern is that Facebook and Twitter and other, you know, sites can be places where lies spread faster than the truth Mm. and equally worrying. And this is something that, that Aboriginal people have said very clearly on a number of occasions, is this expected uptick in racism that we will experience as a result of this campaign, some of which we're already seeing happening in the community. How will Aboriginal people be protected or supported? The um, same-sex marriage debate, people invoke that as the similarities there in terms of the damage it does to the mental health and well-being of communities. So those are, you know, very real concerns. Already when I'm posting articles about The the Voice, there's a trail of horrid comments online often and this type of rhetoric and misinformation is, is just incredibly hard to control. Is there a plan to, to manage this? What actually can be done in the next few months? Well, Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat, they want all paid ads for the voice referendum to carry authorisation messages like those you get in election periods. And they say they will fact check ads and remove the ones they consider to be false. Advance recently had a couple of ads deleted from Facebook after one of the platform's fact checking teams from RMIT University rated one of its claims as false. That there's been, that's been a shot across the bows. But but really, you do have to wonder how they're going to maintain that in a very heated, condensed campaign like The Voice to Parliament's going to be. Lorena, the misinformation and the ongoing mudslinging in Canberra is really a very ugly side of this referendum process. And it's very different to the vision that Dean Parkin outlined that you mentioned at the top of this episode, where everyday people are brought together and welcomed into a conversation around the voice. Is that vision actually achievable? 
It's very much the goal of the Yes campaign. And so I think they really do want to convey the message that that they are willing to exchange ideas in a respectful way. So that's the place where they want to position themselves in the debate. Mm. And there have been a lot of civil conversations going on behind the scenes. You know, so independent Senator Lydia Thorpe, we know that she's rejected the voice as powerless. She says she wants a treaty first, but indicated that she's already been having private civil conversations behind the scenes. Uh, She mentioned she'd spoken to Megan Davis uh, and would do it again. She said it was time for the media to stop setting black women up against each other. Um, And, you know, there's lots of shows of bipartisanship going on. So there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to, to build that bridge or maintain bridges where they exist. So, and I don't think any of us want to get to the other side of this vote and look at the bridges that Australia has burnt in this process. We want to be able to see that they're intact. And, you know, the conversation really has only just started. And so they've got to be a place for Aboriginal people to speak up and speak freely, work through their own thoughts about the voice, ask questions and, you know, express their frustrations, uh, long pent-up frustrations about not being heard for decades and be heard in this process. Whether they agree with the voice initially or not, whether they change their mind down the track, there has to be some place for Aboriginal people to be able to express the diversity of their own views. That was Lorena Allum, Indigenous Affairs Editor at Guardian Australia. You can read more about the Yes and No campaigns at theguardian.com, including a piece by Lorena and political reporter Josh Butler titled Voice Referendum, Who's Behind the Yes and No Campaigns and How Do They Plan to Convince Australia? That's it for today. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannon, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producer was me, Laura Mafiotes. Okay, catch you tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.